Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Living It Up podcast coming to you on the heels of Rory completing what I would call a storybook ending for the PGA Tour season. We've got six new players announced today joining Live Golf uh, just in time for, you know, football and the House of the Dragon to uh, take over the, the conversation until the holidays. This is Brian. I am joined by my co-host, George. And today we also have an addition. You'll see a third member of our, our hosting team. And before I go back to that, I'll remind everyone what, what I said in our, our very first podcast. We are the Living It Up podcast. Uh, we are by no means paid, sponsored, endorsed by Live Golf in any way. We would disclose that if we were. Um, and, and we like to try to be as unbiased as possible. We just want to explore what's going on in the world of professional golf. We will call balls and strikes on both the PGA Tour and Live and the DP World Tour and the Masters and whoever else. We're going to call it like we see it. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to call balls and strikes on the tomorrow top golf hit and giggles and the slime cup, all the above. Um, but with that, I, I will turn it over to the addition to our, to our team here. PGA Tour veteran, Walker Cup winner, actually with some notable guys on that team. We could we could have a, a segment on that one. PGA Tour winner of the 2016 Quicken Loans National, U.S. Navy veteran. Thank you for your service. And generally all-around good guy, Billy Hurley the third. Billy, welcome to the pod. Tell the folks a bit about you, why we haven't seen you on leaderboards, and maybe give us your thoughts on uh, on the Tour Championship. Well, Brian, George, thanks for having me. Fun to be with you guys and, and, and join the Living It Up podcast here. Yeah, I've been hurt for a couple of years now. I had back surgery back in 2019. And so that's why I haven't been playing because I just um, haven't been able to, to do it at that level for, for that many weeks uh, on end. You know, I'm, I'm still a pretty good golfer. I just uh, can't quite do it for 20 weeks a year. Um, my sciatic nerve was pretty, was pinched pretty badly. And um, so the surgery was successful and relieved the pressure on the nerve, but the nerve's still not quite right to give me the full year long um, stamina and strength to, to compete out there week in and week out. So we're still working on that. Still, still, still trying to get back out there and intend to compete again someday soon, but with a little extra time on my hands, happy to spend a little time with you guys uh, on the living it up podcast. Uh, you mentioned the tour championship, Brian, before I talk about that, you and I have been friends for a long time. Brian and I played college golf together. For those of you who don't know, at the Naval Academy, um, had probably one of the better teams in Naval Academy history in 2003 when when Brian did beat me at the conference championship. Um, but we finished one, two, three individually with another teammate, Nick Rogers, and won the Patriot League by 31 shots. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's a record 30. that might never be beaten. But um, you asked about the tour championship. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. I didn't see a shot, Brian. I don't know what even happened. Actually, that's not true. I walked by a TV and saw one shot on Sunday. Um, Scotty Scheffler's second shot into 17. So that's all I got for you. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and and we've kind of talked about this. I don't think you watch a ton of golf when you're, when you're taking an off week. I, I'll admit I was at a pool party. I, I watched very, very little. I scanned the leaderboard here and there. I turned it on my phone to watch, you know, the last hole and a half. So I saw what looked like, you know, kind of some sloppy pars coming in on the last a uh, little bit of, uh, you know, backstopping or, you know, grandstanding going on with uh, Rory hitting it left into the grandstand there. But, you know, in the end, uh, I don't know how much drama there was. George, you're going to have to tell us. How, what was your take on yeah, the tour championship? I, I watched the back nine and I 
it wasn't good golf down the stretch uh, to be candid about it there. Sung Jay kind of started to make a move and then just sort of hit neutral. Um, Rory and Scotty looked like they might light it on fire and try to get to like 23 or 24 and make it a real horse race. And then just stopped hitting fairways, stopped hitting greens. Um, and like it, it did kind of limp in. Rory had one, I forget what shot it was. I mean, just absolutely airmailed a wedge. I mean, they're kind of like 40 yards over. Um, the fact that he got up and down was pretty actually amazing. It was, I'll give him credit for that. Um, but then of course, coming down 18, he absolutely chokes, just duck hooks a huge shot way off the line, grandstand help and gets relief. And I, I'm not sure how you get to take four drops and then like basically place it exactly where you want it when it was already in play. Um, but I, I know for a fact that the Prince of Pontevedra would never, ever even come close to a rules infraction. So, uh, you know, he, he finished out and I think basically a very comfy two inch par, um, to, to hold on to win by see one. That he marked that putt for the drama. That was, that was, you know, chef's kiss on that one. Yeah. I gotta say, uh, I, I, after this week. I'm pretty done with Rory. Uh, <laughs> um, he is just really, it's now got like a full character arc for him. So it's kind of impressive. Like, you know, he starts off, he's this really genuine guy, thoughtful in his answers, and you really enjoy hearing him speak. Um, you know, and even in the early live stuff, I thought he was pretty thoughtful. I mean, he's always been pro tour, but he's also sort of towed the line. I think he recognized that there were a lot of guys that had, in the early moves that were his Ryder cup teammates that he probably has some relationship with. Although I think if memory serves, maybe, you know, this better than I would Billy. that I think a lot of those guys were repped by the same guy. Like he came up under the same agency and then basically like sued them all and left to do his own thing. Like it was a very acrimonious split, I think between him and Graham McDowell. And um, I forget who their agent was. Uh, and then, and now like, he unveils this top golf league with Tiger that's supposed to be the savior of golf. And I mean, it sounds interesting. I'll, I'll give him credit. Um, but then, you know, he finishes his press conference and I don't know if it was on Monday where he says, Oh, he's just, he's just sick to his stomach that he's going to have to play the BMW with the live guys there. At which point, like I went full, I, I got there. I was just full fuck you, Rory. Like, just get over yourself. I mean, they're professional golfers. All you have to do is go play golf with them. And and he's turning this now into this how I went and got more money for them. And how dare they? Uh, I I'm I am now 100 100% out on Rory. I hope he shares an Airbnb with the Reeds and they live happily ever after. I, uh, I'm, I'm perhaps not as uh, jaded as you on this one. The, the thing I've pushed for, and I've, I've been a little active on Twitter on this one, is like whenever there are comments from folks like Rory, now that he has a financial interest and in things like this tomorrow uh, endeavor that he that he started with Tiger Woods, it's, it's almost like you've got to note the conflict of interest, right? Like, yes, he's chosen his side, 
And now he is not just a, you know, a player that signed the PJ tour member agreement, but he is, you know, sort of like an, an equity shareholder in, in that business. And so you almost have to take every comment now and say like, you know, he's, he's kind of like an agent of the tour. He's not just a player that's giving his two cents that he's, you know, that sickens him to see these 18 guys. Well, he's also, have to remember, he's been on the policy board as a player director for the last two years. So he's been intimately in this, uh, you know, sphere of, of these discussions with the tour and, and, and kind of that's part of why I think he became the, the mouthpiece, you know, the voice, the face of the tour from a player perspective is, is because he's, he's been on the policy board for a couple, couple of years. No, it, it, and that's fair. I, I think one thing I, I was thinking about, and I, I, again, I didn't watch a lot of the tour championship, but I, I like to entertain these sort of like perhaps alternative histories and almost like how close we came to some outcomes that maybe would not have been a storybook kind of like, you know, happy ending for the, for the PGA tour. Like we were very close a few weeks ago from Sepp Straka. He just hits the, you know, the broadside of a barn door on that par three, like he beats Wills Alatoris. And so we're not celebrating Wills first win, but we were very close to a Sunjay M tour, tour championship, which Sunjay seems like a fantastic guy. Certainly not the kind of poster child of the PGA tour like Rory. And so would that have been as, as uh, exciting of an ending for the PGA tour? Uh, it, it's it's almost like an interesting thought exercise that we were close to things that you know may have seemed like a little bit of a letdown or a downer, uh, a la you know many many weeks ago when Cam Smith uh, interrupted the Rory coronation at the, at the Open Championship and and kind of stole the hearts of of the media in one fell swoop. Yeah, I think for the last easily for the last two weeks, like Jay had to be falling asleep every night, and his mind was going between if you like going back to happy Gilmore and like the scene where he's like envisioning heaven and there's like grandma and Julie Bowen in like the hot white outfit. And that's like happy time. And then there's like hell where there's grandma and Julie Bowen in the also hot black outfit, but then shooter McGavin's there. Right. And that's yeah, and, Cam and, winning. And the Sepp, tour championship. Sepp Straka wins the tour championship and everybody's like, who's Sepp Straka? Well, I mean, Sepp Straka, honestly, in some ways would, I think galvanize a lot of like the tour lore of you earn it in the dirt. You just show up, you get hot and you qualify and you win. Right. Like that's actually, it's, it's not, you know, the greatest marketing person ever, but it's definitely a good story. I mean, I could get behind Sepp Straka doing it. Like that's, that's pretty crazy. Cam Smith doing it and <laughs> knowing that he's going to basically take that giant check, fold it up, fly to Australia and be like, I'm out that's catastrophic so jay happily avoided that for sure because that well, would have been devastating there's no question that you know in wilmington tiger stepped up and and kind of bailed out the tour a little bit um in some of these things and then and then rory you know put the put the stamp on it you know by by winning and kind of you know taking that tour poster child to the house with the FedEx cup and, and, and everything that, that comes with it. It's interesting, George, you say that the golf wasn't that good in the last five holes. Like I said, I didn't see any of it, but, but that tells me that they care a little bit for everybody saying they don't care about money. They don't care about whatever. That tells me that, that you actually, you actually care. Yeah. There was this interesting comment that Scotty Scheffler made. Scotty had a, at some point a six shot lead early in the first, in the, in the final round ends up shooting three over par that day. 
uh, in his post round, he's like, you know, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't play for money, but there's gotta be a little part of you. I think the difference was like $11 million or something, something crazy like that, that like, you know, maybe that got in his head and was the cause of some nervy shots coming down the stretch. Maybe and I, I joked about this because he he mentioned at the Open Championship he had a an unfortunate like uh you know swamp swampy butt incident like maybe he finished his third round and you know didn't shower you know between or didn't change clothes maybe he had some some soggy drawers and that was the cause of uh, shaky golf down the stretch who knows so on the on the the money thing because we hear live is just about money 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 and it's just greed it's money it's money literally all. Azinger and NBC could talk about for the last like 45 minutes was guys were finishing were how much is this putt worth? How much is this? this? They just made this. They made that. You know, Max Homa, I think either chipped in or like knocked it to a foot to tap in for birdie to move from seventh to fourth or out of a tie and in. And they're like, that was worth 1.8 million. Like all they could do was talk about the money. And I find that ironic because one of the early criticisms of some of the live telecasts where they keep showing the money and it's just all about the money. And like, that's all this was. I mean, the tour championship, you make the 30. So you instantly get the two, the, the exemptions and everything that comes with it. Like the second you are the last ball drops at the BMW and you're inside that 30, like you breathe a sigh of relief. Cause your, your next season's calendar is yours to fill out how you want. Cause you're correct. If I'm wrong, you're fully exempt to all tour stuff. You get the majors. So basically, like, start picking, planning, and give the sigh relief, right? And so the tour championship is literally nothing but, like, I can't remember the old TV show where they're just standing in the tube and the money's flying everywhere. <laughs> just just grab as much as you can. Like, that's what that is, is a golf tournament. <laughs> now, you have to go win it, but, like, at the end of the day, it's just all about money. Because all the other stuff is there, whether you win it or lose it, you don't get any more stuff. I don't think for the, the winner it. of the FedEx Cup. I think it's a five-year exemption, so that's the only difference between okay. one and two through thirty. Got it. Yeah. So, and so my my point being is, all these things they talk about that it's not about money. Like, we're not idiots, right? Can we just, as a golf fan, I would just prefer not to be talked down to like an idiot, but. Hearing what you talked about, Billy, it, it shows that they care coming down the stretch. Like they're getting a little nervy. Like, can you talk to us? Because as someone who has never even sniffed being as quality a golfer as you or Brian are, but aspires and shows up to all of our club tournaments. And the second it's stroke play, you know, five feet feels like 50 and I'm putting into a thimble. As a professional golfer, you know, if you go back to when you were you were going for your win and like, what is that like on the back nine? Cause for you, it's not, obviously it's a giant check, but then it's status. It's, you know, it's 50 other things. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like, the, do the palms get a little sweatier? Is it, is it a club of adrenaline that you got to figure out? And, and yeah, all in? of those, all of those things. My palms don't sweat a whole lot in, in life, just in physical therapy during dry needling, which I've done a lot of. That's like the only thing that makes my palms sweat. But, you know, for, as far as golf goes, yeah, I mean, you, you definitely are trying to factor in like kind of the adrenaline of, of how far am I hitting it, right? How far is, is, is the ball going to go at a, a at, at this point in time in the back nine, but the, the biggest thing that 
I felt like when when I won and and the other couple times that I had chances to win, w- which helped me a lot when I did win, um, is is just you feel like you have to play perfect golf. You don't win a PGA Tour event without playing nearly perfect. It's not perfect, okay, and you don't actually have to play perfect, but you have to play darn close to perfect to actually win. The difference is so fine so small razor thin so it just feels like every single shot has to be absolutely perfect and so the stress and the pressure of that is 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 certainly monumental that that's how i feel on a five dollar nasa so <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad to know we have a shared experience even though uh, the stakes may be slightly different yeah. And I would say too, like one of the things that I love about adding Billy, uh, you know, to come and help us out here on the podcast is I think we have an opportunity to go deep on some of these things. We've talked about, you know, a deep dive into that Walker cup from 2005. I'm sure you got some really good stories there. We can certainly take a deep dive in, into your journey that you've been on of late and like what that means and what it means to be kind of recovering and, and on the, uh, you know, the, the injury status lists and what all comes with that and how you're planning your comeback. Um, I think we'll dive further into to live in a bit because there were a bunch of announcements today. But first, I wanted to talk about these PGA Tour changes. In the, in the most recent pod, we went over the PGA Tour changes around the top players and these 20 events they're going to be committed to. There was actually some some discussion today with someone on the PGA Tour board of directors, play, playing uh, member of the board of directors, James Hahn. He was kind of talking about it like, yeah, great for these top 20 guys. Where does that leave the other 90%? And I think there there were some, I saw some articles and listened to some other takes and they, they were really talking, I don't know, at least to me, it sounded like talking down to James. Like, you don't get it, man. Like if if they didn't placate the top guys, you weren't going to have a PJ tour. And like, all oh, that's true to a degree. Like, I get it. But, but Billy, talk to us about like the number of different constituencies and camps that a guy like James has to deal with. I know you served on the, the policy board for some length of time. Like, how do these guys have to think about kind of how they make decisions or think about these big policy changes? Yeah. I mean, I was on the pack three times uh, over the, over the course of seven years out on the PJ tour and um, <clears throat> didn't actually sit on the policy board directly where, where James was a, was a player director, but the, the pack is kind of the group that um, advises the player directors, right? So it's, it's a bigger group of 16 that, that, that talks about all these things before the policy board talks about them. And, and the, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, James, you get hit up by, by everybody, um, especially a guy like James, who's just a nice guy, right? I mean, so, so Rory's a, a player who's on the, on the policy board, like you're a rookie on tour. You don't get to talk to Rory. Okay. Like, like that, you, you got a problem with something on tour. Like Rory's not accessible to you, you know, to talk about your, you know, what you think could be or, or whatever, James Hahn's an accessible guy. So, so he probably fielded a lot more inquiry and a lot more um, thought from, you know, the bottom, call it the bottom, the lower 50% of the tour, right? Um, certainly the, the upper, you know, 20 or so got in a room together, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and hashed out some of that. Um, I actually ran into James a couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess a week ago now, um, at a pro-am and caught up real briefly. And it seemed like his, his, uh, his hang up was mainly on the PIP money. He just thought that extra 50 million could be put somewhere else to, to kind of bolster the whole tour as opposed to the top. I mean, and 
And, and I see his point because you could have expanded 10 million to the 20 guys as opposed to the, or the 50 million, excuse me, to 20 guys, as opposed to 50 million to 10 as it, as it was. And those guys still get a windfall of all those newly elevated events with increased purses and, 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 and those kind of things. So um, it's a huge balance, right? It's a huge balance on the PGA tour. If you don't have the top guys, you don't have a tour. Right. But if you don't have the, you know, rest of the tour, then, then who did you beat? Like who, you know, I mean, I, I talked to Hal Sutton about this one time and I kind of was like, it's really nice of you to like include us in the rest of this because I didn't do anything for the tour, but you did a lot for the tour. And Hal said, look, man, there are no leading actors without the supporting cast. So you don't have a star unless there's somebody who you're comparing them against. Right. And and I think that sometimes that gets lost on some of the upper echelon players um, who, who think that they just, you know, in one way, they don't get paid their fair share of, of what the tour revenue that they bring. But that's the same in every other sport. Ron James doesn't get paid what he's worth either. So to your point of you need supporting actors to leading men, it you think that's why Tiger has Ricky hang out with him? Because like he gets to be much taller and bigger and probably is still better at golf right now? I have no idea. <laughs> they, 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 they've been together for a long time down at Pedals in the Bears Club. That's 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 what I'll say. So uh, talking about that 50 million, that extra 50 million to to 20 guys. And, the, and these are the top 20 players who make you know, a ton of money. Um, yeah. I, uh, and I, God, now I'm going to screw it up. Uh, I think it's Keith Mitchell, not Kevin Mitchell, Kevin Mitchell's baseball player. Keith Mitchell. Baseball player Keith yeah. yeah. So Keith Mitchell, uh, he was on no laying up and he talked about, it. he's like, look, the top 20 guys, you know, you're a, you're a star in golf when you make more off the course than on it. And the top 20 guys probably make more off than they do on. And that's impressive because I mean, they're, they're making now upwards of probably five, six, seven on the course. If you're in the top 20 and you know, they're off the course is exceeding that. Um, and to hear that, like they're going to split 50 million over 20 guys, right? Now so, it's a now it's hundred million, hundred million, well, a hundred million over 20 guys. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a hundred million over 20 guys. Like that, that tells me in a way, like, how precarious a spot was the tour in that to these guys who are already making a ton of money, you know, 50 million over 20 of them in an additional, so it's a hundred million over 20, so an additional yeah, great, 50 million. Like we're, we're really just sprinkling it over to them. And like, how precarious was it if that, if those few million was the like, okay, we can stay now. I mean, like to me, that sounds like it wasn't just worried about one or two guys in that room. It it sounds like there might have been, you know, five, six, or seven in that room that were like, I I don't see the problem going over there. I think I think that's absolutely true. Like this was an existential threat. And I think they met an existential threat with a lot of money to the top guys. And if I look at like on balance, how they serve tour constituencies, yes, they, they announced this $500,000 minimum guarantee that was going to be, you know, prepaid to rookies 
uh, paid out sort of like, we'll plus you up to that. If you don't, don't meet that kind of meets at a barbell end, the, the lower end of the tour, but all the, the benefits seem to go to the, to the top guys. I, I want to spend some time on, on the pip since that's where we are. Like it, it was always a little bit of a black box. There was like Nielsen scores and Q scores and some of these things that went into it from what I've gathered, like it, it remains a huge black box. They're actually removing some of the social media and making it like, how are you? I forget the way it was worded. I think it was, uh, you know, your, your awareness amongst casual and core fans. Like, are we going to field like a survey and ask people? Cause if, if they do, then Ricky is probably going to finish fourth. Uh, and, and while not making a lot of money, he, he probably finished fourth in the pip and make like 10 million. Well, look, I mean, the original man, Brian. Come again, George. I said, but that allows us to have a leading man. Tiger <laughs> has to have his sidekick. Batman must have his Robin. Go ahead, Bill. <laughs> yes. So, so you have to remember the original Pip as well. Um, you know, you, you, they ran that. You know, over years of data, right? Tiger won every year, even when he didn't play. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so what it really should be is what I call the needle mover score. Right. There are only a few people in professional golf who actually move the needle. Right. Tiger's the only real one. OK, like he's the only true needle mover in the game. OK. And and Ricky's certainly a needle mover. People love him. Right. So so they you know, they you need needle movers to to be at events. Um, and so, you know, you're, I think you're right, Brian, that this is is a bigger black box than it than it was. Um, I think that it's probably also a box they are still trying to fill in. They, they, they probably don't have the formula exactly down because they're still trying to figure out. Um, they got to come up with it pretty quick. Yeah, there's but, probably some agent yeah. management companies saying like, hey, how do we uh, make sure? How, our, how, how, how do I get all right back from 21 to 20? Right. I mean, like that's um, and, and like you said, not not just because of the. However, you know, three, four million that the that the PIP will give the 20th guy, but because now you're in these elevated events, which makes your sponsorship dollars worth more, which makes all these things worth more. So, you know, I don't think you guys have touched on this, and it's probably a rabbit hole for another pod, but the greatest windfall in some of this live, you know, PGA tour, you know, fluffing up of the wallets is in the agents. They're making the most money they've ever made negotiating these deals. Oh, and there's and there's been no uh, sort of shortage of people speculating that you're seeing, hey, guys from management company A are seem to be flocking, while guys of management company B seem to be, you know, hardened and you know, core PGA tour. And so, I think you're totally right. Like there have been some that you know, you could argue like may or maybe are not doing the best advocacy because they're they're patting their own wallets as agents or management representatives while they're while they're while they're, you know, getting these guys on on one way or the other. Um, they, they certainly I, I don't know, I, I'd hate to say guys aren't giving like good advice, but but they certainly have a vested interest in getting you the biggest check possible. That is kind of the black hole of agents right who is this good for is it good for the player or is it good for the agent and yeah and that becomes a it becomes a tricky tricky conversation i mean i think the good ones are you know in the best interest of the player because they recognize that's in their best interest long term etc but uh you know these are these are huge checks and and you know five ten percent of huge checks is a lot yeah 
So before we jump to the news of the day today, which was these six guys that have actually joined to live, there's one other detail around kind of the the new uh, announcements that the PGA Tour made, and this was around the four additional elevated events. And, and Billy, we talked a little bit about this offline. Like, what are your thoughts about, you know, what is your kind of spidey sense of what these four events might might be for 23 or or beyond? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors inside of that. The the, the first of which is going to be scheduled because right? there's already 12. And they're already on the schedule and they're already selling tickets for, for these events, the majors, the players, Genesis, uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational Memorial, uh, Century out in, out in Maui, et cetera. So, so those are already on the schedule. You can't move them. Um, so there's only so many places left as you start looking at the calendar and looking at where are guys going to play, where would guys have played in the past. I mean, the, the one that just jumps out to me right off the bat is Quail Hollow, the Wells Fargo Championship. Um, you know, they have the President's Cup there in a couple of weeks. Uh, didn't play the Wells Fargo there last year at Quail Hollow. But, um, you know, Johnny Harris is the president of the club there. And, and you know, just a super wealthy guy who I can only imagine would love to bring an elevated event. Rory plays Wells Fargo a lot. Um, he's played most uh, most years. He won it two years ago at Quail Hollow, if, I, if memory serves right. So, so I mean, you know, if we if if we talk about who are you going to placate to and whose schedule are you going to run up against, like that's that's one. So so that one jumps out immediately to me. Um, you know, I think waste management fits well. I think they'd love to have a bigger party um, and have all the top players there. Uh, farmers is, is one that I, that I think could be, but it's not great in the schedule, um, because of the kind of on off stop start, uh, of the West coast where that would fit with Genesis. Um, and then I think that, you know, you start talking about, uh, you know, with RBC, they sponsor two events. They sponsor the heritage in, in Hilton head and, and they sponsor the Canadian open with, would they drop the heritage being the Royal Bank of Canada to bolster the Canadian Open and, and make that a, a top event? I think it fits in the summer in the schedule. It would create a three in a row scenario of those elevated events between, uh, I think it's Memorial Canada Open, Canadian Open and then US Open. But um, what, what, a, what a cool thing for kind of Canada and, and, and Golf Canada to, to be a part of an elevated event and to, you know, they give, they give 20 sponsors exemptions to Canadian players. That's, that's one of the things that they have there at the Canadian open. So that would be even a bigger, you know, boost to, to golf Canada. And then again, if we're saying this is about doing what's best for the game, which we can continue to argue about and whether it's not just about money, but um, those, those are some of the immediate ones that come to mind. I mean, I, I do think Sony makes some sense scheduling because you already, everybody's already yeah, out right there. So why not one hop over to Oahu and, and, and play one more week? Um, the infrastructure would be tough there, but uh, you know, I think that that would just scheduling you have to look at as well. There's so, been this, I, oh, go ahead, George. I, I, sure. I was, I was going to say that it seems like he's adamant and if nothing, if if these most recent defections and, um, I'm sorry, jumpings, the most recent jumps to uh, live, and and then you think about kind of the fight for Hideki, like clearly the tour recognizes there's an international issue here going on, and they could definitely, I mean, they co-sponsor what is it, the Genesis Scotland Open, 
or was it the Scottish Open yeah, prior correct. to? And a lot of guys go over just to get acclimated, kind of get familiar with the turf and whatnot. Do you think there's a chance that they they do that? And and politically, wouldn't that throw a bone to the the DP tour, which has got to be? I mean, the rank and file over there have got to be a little chippy with everything that's going on, where it's everything's kind of being sucked away from them. But then if they have this kind of elevated event that they get to go to, maybe it makes them feel a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Um, that does make some sense in the in 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 what you're talking about um, as far as bolstering the DP World Tour and um, you know giving them some bigger stage with one of those elevated events. It's it's right on the you know right before where where a handful of those guys you know did play last year between you know uh, Thomas and Spieth and, and Ricky, you know, played over in those. So, so it wouldn't be that much of a jump for them to, them to do that. Um, it, it's just, it, it, it's going to come down to the schedule. It's going to come down to sponsors, you know, so Genesis already has a elevated event, which was going to require more money out of their pocket. Are they going to want to do two or does that sponsorship title change? Um, these, there's, there's, I suspect there's seven tournaments really jockeying to get this, right? Because it would, it is a windfall for, for the tournament. Yeah. And there's been some discussion around like, could it float, right? Could it, could, could an elevated event one year, you know, just be like a one year thing. And then the next year it, it changes around. I think there's a lot that is left to be decided. And I think we'll let the, let the tour, I think they said they wanted to do it in the next 45 days or so come out with their uh, list of elevated events for 23 and whether that's indicative of 24 and beyond, who knows? I, I think what's also interesting is there's also been a lot of talk around field size. Like are the elevated events 120 man fields? Are they 80 man, 60 man fields? Dare I say no cut events? Um, you know, there's a lot to be decided. No question. And I think field size is one thing from the, you start talking about that bottom, you know, lower 50% of the tour that's the thing that they are looking at very hard because if these become 60 man events, then it just becomes the self licking ice cream cone that the top 50 in the world has always been. Once you get in the top 50 in the world, it's hard to fall out of the top 50 yeah. in the world because you're in all these other events that just give you points against the top players. So if, if you do the same thing with these elevated events and some of them become 60 man fields, um, you're going to make it very difficult to kind of break in. But um, if, yeah. if I if I understand correctly, if it's a sixty man field with no cut, I don't think it's eligible to get yeah. points. Then it's it an must be seventy two holes. It must be napping. There's this one asterisk. There's this one asterisk in the world golf ranking points that says under seventy two holes or special events will be considered on a case by case basis by the technical committee. If you look at who's on the technical committee, I'd say the PGA Tour events are going to get approved. Hmm. Seems fishy to me. <laughs> so let's let's use that as a great segue to the guys that uh, that just jumped. This episode is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the all-in-one guide to better golf, fitness, and health. I've been using the Fit for Golf app for many months. You know, it's improved my overall strength, flexibility, and my ability to prepare the right way before I play. In fact, I find that if I'm coming in hot for a tee time. 
I don't just bang balls, you know, for 10 minutes like I used to. Instead, I have a set of band and club-aided dynamic stretches that I do, and then I just hit a handful of balls and putts, and I'm ready to rock. In the Fit for Golf app, you'll find a ton of workouts and programs from speed training to off-season and in-season workouts, warm-up routines, and much, much more. And Living It Up listeners, we have a special deal for you. Use the code LIVINGITUP, all one word, in checkout, and you'll get 20% off an annual membership. We thank Fit for Golf for their sponsorship, and I thank Fit for Golf for the improvements I'm seeing in my own game. Um, a few announcements. Some were uh, terribly kept secrets and everybody knew. You know, some I think were, you know, this week, uh, last few days as these names popped out, there were some surprises. Uh, we can run down the list a little bit one by one. Let me just say the names. Cam Smith, his countryman, Mark Leishman, Joaquin Neiman, Anurban Lahiri, Harold Varner III, and Cameron Tringale. Was rumored that there were going to be seven names. Turns out there's six, six names announced today. Who knows if a seventh is is you know, coming in other weeks, there was this thing in the, in sort of the live schedule where if you didn't play, you know, Boston and, and going forward, you weren't going to play the minimum number of events to play their, their final season event. So that's why I think you are seeing these guys announced and are going to play later this week in, in, in Boston, but, but I'll pass it George to you. What, uh, you know, let's start with Cam Smith and Mark Leishman at the top. What, uh, what is this signal for, uh, for live here with these signings? I mean, look, I, I think it signals in, it's not a bad thing. I, I think it signals that like maybe this is going to be a little bit of an Australian heavy tour, um, or at the very least, you know. And it, it, it what it, what's interesting about it is is Cam. You know, I've I've seen him in interviews um, and whatnot, and you know he's a really, at least from what I've seen, he's a pretty thoughtful guy. He's been very clear that he's you know kind of misses his family. He's been kind of homesick. Um, and I think he looked at live as definitely an opportunity to get more, more time back in Australia, play tournaments in Australia, get to play the Australian open. I think I, I have to imagine that he's been told or, you know, um, you know, it's been presented to him that, Hey, the, the live field will be able to play the Australian open and be able to play the Australian PGA. So, you know, he gets to sort of, I think that's like he's bringing big golf back to Australia. And I think that was probably something that mattered to him. Well, it'll be what's interesting from just a like, well, now we got to go sell this tour thing. He's like I said, he's a thoughtful guy. He seems he's, I would not call him charismatic. I mean, you know, he's kind of got his mullet. He's got this thing that on the outside looks outlandish, but if you, when he gets in front of a microphone, he's, he's a little bit like Dustin Johnson. Like he's not going to give you an inch more than he wants to give you. Um, and he's, I don't, he's not, you know, as much as I've started like the, the hate club for Rory, I'll give him credit. He's charismatic. Um, you know, he, he does well in front of a microphone and I don't, I don't know that if as the number two player in the world and sort of your crown jewel, I am curious Does does Cam carry your tour? His yeah. play might, and he might win, continue to win on a major stage. He's clearly ascending. He's at the right age to sort of start ripping off a handful of majors if it's that's in the cards for him. But from a charisma standpoint, I I don't know that he is that million watt bulb that an upstart league needs. 
Yeah, and I would say thus far, you know, other than some press conferences early on in some of these events, the 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 folks on Live like have not been super outspoken. There have been some Twitter chatter from Lee Westwood and others, but guys aren't taking a ton of media appearances and and talking a lot. Maybe that's strategic, and and maybe they just want to shut up. Say, and, are they and play? Are they, are, are they locked in the Ritz with the rest yeah. of the family? <laughs> Pretty sure that's controlled in in a lot of way. But George, you're absolutely right. There is no spokesperson for Live from a player standpoint right now. Um, they don't have a charismatic person to to kind of carry it like the like the tour is leaning on Rory. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and I, I mean, I, I think definitely, and it's funny because I'm curious if Bryson's Pizza Hut interview was <laughs> just the worst. Is like where they were like, "Nope, that's it. Nope, you're done. Everyone done. No one talks. We will get back to you." One hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with you there. They, they were definitely given the gag order after that. Uh, George, I'll touch on what you said. Like maybe this is, you know, a, a Australia heavy. I would just say if you now look at the the folks on the roster, um, they are very international. And I think like if I'm the PGA Tour, I'm looking at the live roster and I'm saying, do I have an international problem? Like, have I just become like the, the most elite tour in the U.S. and the most elite tour for the rest of world that also plays in the U.S. is live. And, and I look at guys like, you know, Yako Neiman, I look at guys like Anurban Lahiri, like they represent big emerging markets uh, that, you know, are tuning into tuning into golf. And, you know, like this is this is an opportunity, I think, for for live to just like become the rest of world tour that also plays in the U.S. But, you know, hey, most of our schedules in the U.S. were very friendly to international travelers, international fans. Um, one thing and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of tie off on this, like there was an interview with John Rahm this week where, you know, he's asked as European player, like, Hey, you got to commit to these 20 events. Then you got to play these European tour events to qualify as a European tour member of the, the Ryder cup. And he was sort of taking it back a little bit. Like, Wait, I got to play all those. And, and it's like starting to hit these guys. Like, wow, that, that might be a lot of golf to ask for someone that is coming from outside the U S like you're, you're, you're basically being asked to stay in the U S it sounds like from, from January to August, and then you can kind of play your golf outside of the U.S. and in, in the off months, in the quote-unquote silly season. Yeah, I mean, like, it's and, – and this is – I mean, if you look at it as strictly a numbers game. So if you're like, uh, we're going to be the premier international tour, and we'll be in the U.S. a little bit, but we're definitely going to be a little brother to the PGA Tour. Okay, like, on a numbers game, that – if my math is right, basically I get 7.2 billion eyeballs <laughs> and I've walked away from 350 million eyeballs knowing that like, I'm still going to get some in the U S but you know, and, and it, it was clearly strategic what they were doing. I think as much as the ads kind of made some noise today, um, some of the subtractions definitely caught my eye. Um, there was a lot of chatter like, okay, it was gonna be seven, but now it was six. And they're like, well, Hideki will come after the Zozo. Hideki's gotta, he's gotta bring the tour to Japan, and then then he can come. Um, but they they basically just got rid of like, if you if you got mail in Japan at any time in your life, you just got kicked off live today. And so that does not bode well for a Japanese team led by Hideki coming in. 23 coming after the zozo like that to me seemed that like that ship has clearly sailed and yeah, 
I agree. Like the, the Twitter so sphere has been like a little all over the map on this one. Some will say with confidence, like, yeah, he just needs to get through the Zozo and he he's still on live for 23. I, I squint at that and wonder if that's just wishful thinking or or rumors or speculation. I look at some of the core changes that the PJ Tour announced with the PIP and this and that. I could argue that like Hideki is the needle outside of Tiger. Like he is the international needle and he may be number two in the PIP if they're just going to take away social media because he doesn't seem super active on social media. But if they're going to do an international survey of your core and, and casual fans, guess what? He's going to crush that in, in Japan and the, and the rest of Asia. And so this whole PIP could be like, here you go, Hideki. You you were going to get 300 million. Now you're going to get this many million from the PGA Tour. Like stick around. Oh, it ain't gonna be it ain't gonna be 300 million uh that's for sure but like total aside and it just struck me and you talk about social media what's the tour gonna do if there's some ascendant person we don't know about yet just a college kid or whatever who blows up and is huge on truth or social <laughs> what are they gonna do like like seriously what are they gonna do if if there's a kid now, granted, if he's huge on truth, Liv will probably give him like a billion because you know you got to do that. But like, <laughs> I was just like, man, that could really backfire on them. Like they got, they just get a monster and like, oh shit, not you guys. Like no, I meant other guys, not this. Uh, I think it's it's definitely something that uh, everyone tries to to keep in mind in terms of like, yeah, I, I, we don't even need to go there. And in fact, like we talked about, like we want to kind of separate the politics from from the discussion to a degree. What I'll say to your comment, which I thought you were going toward on the younger guys, is that you can argue, and I've, I've made this case, I think it, you know we've had background discussions on this. If I'm Greg Norman and Liv, I actually think that I'm going to deeply invest in my bench. Like I know that I've got my core roster of guys, but let's be honest, a lot of the guys like Lee Westwood, me and Poulter and Graham McDowell, like they are in their 40s. They've got a few good years left, and I've got to backfill that you know, with younger kind of fresh international talent. I'm looking at the international ranks across like Asia and Europe. I'm looking at the colleges, you know, in the U S and abroad, and, and I'm maybe throwing lots of money at these guys to come play the Asian tour and grind it out, figure out how to be a professional, give them an opportunity to earn some of those spots, you know, those, those spots on live. Like, I think there could be a major strategic opportunity where the PGA tour has invested in PGA tour U, but, but I'll give a quick example um, there's a few guys that just crushed it in their seven starts on the PGA tour, but they're still grinding right now in the corn Ferry finals and do not have any status locked up for next year. Greg could walk over with the checkbook and make those guys very happy to not play the corn Ferry next year. I'll, I'll defer to Billy on this one. I'd like his thoughts, but I mean, I go back to cam young and he obviously had a pretty decent hill of money put in front of him who knows how much and he really liked what he saw like if you if you read those comments objectively he's like man they're doing some really cool stuff over there but the timing's just not right and the timing's just not right is very clearly i don't have five years of exemption in my back pocket to see if this thing's really gonna go yeah so i gotta stick around until i bag a major and i hope they'll take my call once i do yeah, if he if he won the PGA Tour PGA Championship this year, uh, and he was up there at a bunch like at the U.S. Open and PGA Championship, like yeah, that that could be a totally different discussion for him. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be like uh, Billy, what what is your thought on you know these guys coming out of college, jumping to live, and 
I guess there's two two schools of thought on it. One, look, you jump to live, maybe you sign a two-year contract for say $10 million, which is 10 million more than you might make on tour in your first two years out of college. But you get professional experience, you don't have any tour status yet. So they can't suspend you. They can't wag their finger at you. You haven't done anything wrong yet. You you get some dough, you get some experience. And then you're like, okay, cool. Now I want to go on tour to get my status to get to a major. Like, how do you think that kind of strategy will work? Well, I think that's a couple of years from playing out because I mean, if that's all live becomes um, is someone's going to go, then, then, then the scenario you just des- described is live as a developmental tour. Um, and then, you know, the PGA tour is still the ultimate place uh, to play elite golf on the planet. And that obviously is what the PGA tour wants probably without this developmental tour even existing because they have the developmental tour in the corn fairy that they want to keep under the umbrella. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's, there's a lot of interesting things. If you were to, if you were to take a lot of kids um, out of college and 10 million bucks, I mean, the weighted probability of that says, take the money. Okay. Like how many in like, let's go look at a first team all American list of the last 10 years and tell me how many of those names, you know, yeah, okay? cause it's less than 50%. And so, you know, making it in professional golf to the PGA Tour to the to the point of of being Cam Young and and you know presumably Rookie of the Year running away and you know having a two year exemption going forward and and being in all the majors coming up and and having contended in majors like like that's the anomaly of the story from a rookie season right the the there's a reason why they put the 500,000, you know, uh, earnings assurance program in place, right. To mostly that's going to be given to, to rookies who come out and struggle and make a couple cuts and get some experience and go back to corn Ferry, but they get, get a little bit of money in their pocket. So the weighted probability of some of those numbers is, is take the money and run. Um, just, just because golf's hard. Okay. And, 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 and it's a terrible numbers game, right. There's only a hundred and, 56 spots week in and week out on the PGA tour, that number might be shrinking, right? Because we don't know field sizes of these, you know, 12 to 15, you know, elevated events aside from majors. And so the, the, the upfront money might be for many guys, a a carrot you can't turn down a la the uh, major league baseball draft. And, and so in a way, I mean, this is probably a whole, we could, we could turn it into one of Brian's uh, MBA program, white papers, but like, cause I'm like, is that a way, you know, like that live could sneaky choke out the tour? I mean, well, they have, right. I mean, they, they, they took the number two amateur in the world. Right. Um, so he turned pro and just went and went straight to live. I, I, I forget his name. He's a Spanish guy. Chikara from OSU. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so, so they've done it. And, and the thing you have to remember about the, 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 the fight for professional golf that's happening right now, right, is it has nothing to do with Charles Schwartzel and uh, Louis Eustace and Dustin Johnson. I mean, those are all great players. I admire all of them and, and, and have played with all of them. 
Um, but it's not about the, it's not about losing them. Okay. It's about the 15 year old you haven't heard of to your point of, of live poaching, you know, younger players and giving them a, a place to go. It, it, it's, it's about the next Rory McIlroy. It's about the next Jordan Spieth. It's about the next Justin Thomas, uh, you know, Patrick Cantley, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Cam Smith. Right. It, it's about who's next in that 15 year old arena that, that, that nobody's heard of that's going to become the next superstar. Um, and, and where is that kid going to play golf eight years from now? Right. That's, that's what this fight is about. And it's about the PGA tour remaining the supreme, you know, place to play and live trying to, to, to take some of that and, and present a new business model to the world of independent contractors that are professional golfers. Yeah, we, we could spend, uh, you, you've definitely sparked in my mind, Billy and George, like, I think it's worth a deep dive to look at like that all American list. I was even thinking back to like a historical view of the OWGR. Like I can remember a time when we all thought Jason Day was going to win like half of the next, you know, 10 majors because he looked like he was never going to miss a shot. And then, you know, injuries, blah, blah, blah. The same thing happens with guys that are can't miss stars out of college or can't miss guys on the Corn Ferry Tour that just struggle for no apparent reason once they get to the, get to the PGA tour. And so I, I do think that's worthy of a, of a deep dive. I, I'll maybe try to, to wrap us up a little bit on some of these guys that have announced uh, with, with maybe this thought exercise and we don't have to go too deep, but just what does this mean for the president's cup? Uh, there are a number of guys that went today that already had automatic qualifications on the international side. A number of guys that probably would have been, if not a shoe in captain's pick, like in that consideration set for Trevor Everman, like where, where, where does this leave us for the president's cup coming up? Is it, is it just like a joke? Is the U S going to win every point? Billy, Billy, maybe it's not too late. You can be like Sabatini and get like a Croatian citizenship so you can show up. Yeah. You were, you were, uh, yeah. Hey, I mean, I might, I'll, I'll, I'll have to call, call Trevor and see if I can play for the international squad. Do you have to have played an event in the last three years to, to be on a president's cup? I don't know. I, I, I bet the qualifications are getting very loose. <laughs> there are rumors he could take himself as a playing captain. No, I mean, that's not true, but it's a, it's a funny thought that it's funny and, and perhaps sad in the same time, because one could imagine a scenario where, uh, the PGA Tour doesn't take the stance that they've taken and say, hey, these guys are ineligible to play, you know, on the President's Cup and Ryder Cup teams. It, it'll be really fascinating going forward. I mean, what does it mean for the President's Cup this year? I mean, the show is going to go on. It's obviously a diluted international team, if we're being honest, um, from a world ranking perspective. Um, but but the live is kind of taking that international place. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, they are, they are taking these international teams. So uh, wildly enough, and I don't know, maybe, but cause like, wasn't one of the international players in La when we were in Australia, wasn't one of the international players like Hao Tong Lee? Like he was an Asian tour guy. He wasn't like, I don't think he was, he definitely wasn't a PGA guy. Maybe he was DP. Like, don't don't guys by going to live automatically get Asian tour status, and doesn't Emmelman have the ability to pull from the Asian tour? It'll be it'll be interesting. I think I think that I think there's yeah. This is going to be horrible. This is going to be like when Alabama plays like Sanford. 
<laughs> right? Like, I mean, this is bad. Really bad. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think this actually calls into question the future viability of the President's Cup as an entity. Uh, yeah, I was going to say there's been some rumors they could be wild harebrained things. But people were like, hey, maybe the President's Cup should be the opportunity for uh, PGA Tour versus Live, right? It's 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 well, ha harebrained for now, but it's an interesting thought. And and isn't it like there's gonna be, there's like a little bit of irony in this because the President's Cup is really the outcropping of this whole like in the 90s, late 80s, 90s, it was like we did the Ryder Cup and the world's number one player through that whole period was Greg Norman and he was left out of this big global thing. And then you had Ernie Els kind of pop on the scene in the mid 90s, winning a couple of opens. Yeah, and I was like, thing. yeah, we're in VJ and like, wait, there's some really good players that were leaving out of these like US versus the world thing. And then we created this. And now it's like, and now it's, when you say we, let's be specific, the PGA Tour created it. Correct. Because you have to remember the PGA Tour gets zero dollars from the Ryder Cup. Right. No, I, listen, that, that was and that continues to be the interesting part to me in this whole thing, because the PGA Tour, while being, you know, the. And this is why I think and I don't know where this fits into all this we've been talking about, but basically, like, rather than Jay and Craig sitting down to talk. It really has to be Tiger and Greg. I think literally Greg is such an egomaniac that Tiger is the only person that could probably look him in the eye and be like, all right, look, now you're talking to the big dog. Stop. And let's have a conversation. Um, and because Tiger is the only reason the modern PGA Tour as we know it exists, right? Like the, DP, the European Tour and the PGA Tour were – comparable the pga tour is definitely a little bit bigger a little bit more lucrative but they're they were comparable because you had in the, in the pre-tiger era you'd put them you know yeah there. i mean through the late 80s early 90s i think they you know the pga was probably still higher but it was still you know 1a 1b and then tiger hits and the money on the pga tour just skyrockets and so like I get it. Like the DP tour just had no one that brought, I mean, I mean, he only had 13 in a row, like orders of merit, but Colin Montgomery just did not seem to exude the same charisma of a tiger woods. And so then like the, the closest thing that ever came along that could have maybe helped pull the DP tour back closer was Rory, but he's just chasing dollars and he's a beta he's acknowledged it he's <laughs> clearly a beta that when tiger's in the room there's an alpha therefore he's a beta and you know like you said billy he loves to go play with bankers down at wells fargo loves money that's his thing and that he just turned his back on europe i mean we're villainizing these guys who are chasing their dream meanwhile we're idolizing a person who literally would rather have dinner with bankers than play golf. George, George is going to start that uh, anti Rory fan club. You, you got to get some merch. Maybe you can. Maybe you can hawk some some merch of the the anti Rory fan club. Can I, can it just say stand up when you're talking to me and have him standing up like at me chest level? Oh gosh, hey, I, we could go on this for for a long time. I I will say we could we could probably tie off on. It'll be super interesting, you know, as the Presidents Cup gets 
gets rounded out uh, just how lopsided this thing may be and what the conversations are at the event and like, hey, what is this as a as a going concern going forward? I'll, I'll, I'll maybe wrap as well by saying, Billy, great to have you on. George, awesome discussion. We've got the Live Boston event coming up this Friday through Sunday. Uh, it's a Labor Day weekend. I hope everyone enjoys their, their Labor Day. Uh, we will be coming to you probably early next week, Sunday, Monday timeframe to talk about all the rest of the, the, the news of the day and, and how, how Live Boston has, has, uh, has wrapped up. But hey, guys, uh, a toast to you, George. I know you were sipping on a bourbon, so uh, I toast I you. And, and we are, we are open to, to bourbon sponsorships. Um, <laughs> we won't name names, no free ads. And, and I, I have to say it is, it is with a heavy heart and like I'm, I'm a little gut punched that the mighty, mighty Bostons broke up before Liv could get to Boston for a thing um, because Liv is golf louder and who would be louder than the Bostons in a post uh, tournament concert. Hey, we've got so Dip- true missed Dip- opportunity Dip- there. I think Diplo, not the chain smokers, but Diplo playing, playing the event in Boston. Yeah, and I mean, we could go on, but man, what? I mean, you, again, in the petty wars that have gone on here, I know we're trying to get out of here, but what a true, like, backdoor sneaky move that the waste management gets the chain smokers when they were supposed to play for uh, Live, and then, like, they didn't. Truly astounding. Yeah. I mean, the- these petty wars are actually almost like a Real Housewives episode going down every week. Yeah, we're gonna need some like chain smoke, chain smokers music to like walk us out. I gotta, I gotta find and license some of that music. But hey, guys, I will bid you adieu for now. Billy, thanks for joining. George, awesome as always. See, that's not fair. I can't salute. I can't salute. I didn't serve. I can't salute you guys. You got your little thing. All right. (laughs) Yeah, Shaka. All right, see you boys. All right, take care. Later. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.